been thinking a lot about my life, trying to get things on the right track. Marriage brings all the biblical meanings of love and places them between two people, with God himself officiating. My kids aren't broken, the world around them is. I have the choice to set the direction of my mind. I need to get my mind in alignment with God's word. I can fix my sin by living a spirit-guided life, a life that reflects the fruit of the Holy Spirit. No amount of money can outweigh the favor of God. Life will continue to have its ups and downs, but now I know that I can look to Jesus as the author and perfecter of my faith. Even when I think I need someone to fix my... Everybody say belief. Everybody say unbelief. I would argue that today in this house there are plenty of beliefs and unbeliefs at the same time. I have them myself. Don't be shocked by that. Don't be pushed back by that. Learn how they can coexist together without you jumping all the way out of the plane. You can have things you haven't figured out yet, things that don't quite make sense. You're trying to learn them, and that's okay to be in that place and space. Now, our journey of discovery, though, will come to the complete clear point that at some point you'll recognize that you cannot love the God you want, but you can only love the God who is. And that's what true worship is. You don't get to love the God you want. You get to love the God who is. And that's what true worship is. For many of us, our unbelief is because we're trying to reshape God to our carnal desires. And we're going to look at that today because the reality is everybody here would love to have a Mr. Potato Head God. You guys remember the old school Mr. Potato Head? Uh, you know, the, the, you could take the things out, put the things in. You could make the glasses change, the eyes change, the mouth change. You could, you could characterize that the way you saw it, and that's not how God is. We get to love the God that is, is, is the one who exists today, the all, uh, all-encompassing, all-powerful, omnipresent, um, uh, uh, omnipotent God, and that's it. In the process, though, you may have come to points in which you're trying to figure this out. So my first thought today is just to say to all of us, we are all on a belief journey, and that's okay. It is okay to be on a belief discovery process. Just don't stop believing and discovering. Now, let's look at this real fast. Our world today is filled with the unbelief-belief tension. In fact, I would submit that many, if not nearly every, earthly institution in the last 20, 30, 40 years has totally lost a sense of belief assurance. You just process this for a moment because this affects your faith as well. I would suggest that we have in the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years, we have watched the complete disappearance of belief in our families. God's original governance for mankind. Belief in our churches. I get it. Belief in our government's gone. But belief in uh, the internet. Was it even there ever? I'm just asking. I mean, it's like craziness out there. But we have watched this unfold before our eyes, and believe it or not, that impacts even your faith journey. In a world that's filled with doubts, it's much easier to doubt than to believe. 
And that affects your faith walk as well. Think of it this way. What happens on the outside of us at some point happens on the inside of us unless we combat it with a different truth and a different way of life. Let's look today at three different texts of Scripture, beginning first in John chapter 20, and let's look at these and unpack what it looks like in the Scripture to see this belief and unbelief tension. Here we go, John 20, and there'll be a guy pop up in this you've heard before. In fact, he has a label by his name tied to his unbelief, or we think it's unbelief. Look real fast. John 20, verse 19, it says, on the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders. Then Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. This, of course, is post-resurrection. And after he said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus uh, said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. If you forgive many one's sins, they're forgiven. If you not forgive, they're not, they're not forgiven. Verse 24, now Thomas, everybody, everybody say Thomas. What is Thomas's last name? Doubting. Why do we call him that? Why do we say that? I'm so glad you did that. Awesome. Uh, One of the 12 was not with the disciples. They've already seen Jesus. He was not there. So cut the guy some slack. So the others, disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will what? Not believe. Now keep in mind before we go any further here that the other disciples had already had this experience. They had seen him. They had touched the nail prints. They had seen his side, touched his side. They had talked with him. So it's almost like they had a whole different experience. But Thomas is the guy that gets the shade in the conversation. Go back to the text, verse 25. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out, and put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and what? Believe. Verse 28, so Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, my Lord, my God. Notice this, he said what? My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. A couple quick thoughts. First of all, doubting Thomas is what we call him. Jesus never called him doubting Thomas. And we could probably make the case that had the other disciples had the same turn of events, that they will be in the same conversation with a guy named Thomas. But what happens here is because somebody had a question, because somebody wanted to see further, watch this, they now live their entire life with a label known as Doubting Thomas. Thomas, the, what's his last name again? The Doubter. Now, when you look at this, there is, first of all, clearly, Jesus says here, there is a blessing in believing without seeing. There's a blessing in that. Everybody here today, we're not able to touch the physical Christ. He is not on the earth. That means when we choose to believe, there is a greater blessing in that belief because we're operating by faith, not by sight. And additionally in this, we can see this in this text, that you can be on a journey and not necessarily have a label. Not everybody who has questions is a doubter. 
Not everybody who wonders is without faith. And today I want to unpack for you how we can have this journey of having questions, but still have faith. How I cannot know everything, but still believe in who God is. And before I go much further, let me just once again say to you, I have tons of questions about spiritual, theological, or eternal things. And as a pastor, I get asked a lot of questions. And sometimes the best thing I can say to you is, you know, I don't know. I got the same question you do. You know, one of the great questions of all time is, why do good things happen, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? I don't know. I'm not the judge of the universe, but I trust God. And I can't explain everything, but I know that I can have doubts. I know I can have questions and not be a doubter by label. When you look at this, everybody here like Thomas is on a journey of moving from unbelief to belief. The moment he experienced what he was asking for, his foundation was there. He said, my Lord, my God. He knew immediately who he was. He needed that next step in the conversation. So watch this. If you're on a journey today from unbelief to belief, just keep moving. Don't stop. You're not there yet. Keep journeying, keep discovering, keep reading, and keep growing. Now go real fast to Mark chapter 9. Look at this text. There was a man in the crowd, and he answered, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has been robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus said, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? I love that phrase. How long shall I stay here? How long am I going to put up with you people? Jesus was saying, I love this. Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy to the ground into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and he rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It it has often thrown him into the fire or to the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Notice the, the hunger of the father here. If you can... Jesus said, everything is possible for those who what? Believe. Verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I love that line. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him. And he never entered him again. Here we go. Watch this. Our unbelief and belief tension is really an entrance ramp and not an exit ramp. Take your questions and your unbelief to God, not away from God. Take it toward truth, not away from truth. Lord, I I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Let's go real fast to Matthew 28. We're almost done. Not with the sermon, but with just this context. We've got several hours to go on the sermon. 
Matthew 28, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. What's the next part? But some did what? They doubted. Here's the disciples. When you look at scripture, it is filled with this conversation on belief and unbelief existing at the same time. When you look at this Matthew 28 text, we can clearly see that it's possible to have doubts and still worship in the presence of our doubts. I want to tell you today, you can come to God's house and you can raise your hands and you can worship and you can be taught the word of God while still having questions and doubts about God. Because unbelief should be an entry point, not an exit point. Our world today would suggest that unbelief is an exit point, not an entry point. I would suggest the opposite. If you want to know something, you don't stop learning, you start learning. If you want to grow in something, you don't quit discovering, you continue discovering. But because our world today speaks so loud in our ears, it is easy for us to assume if I've got one question about God, that means I have doubt and that might mean the whole thing is a sham, it's all a lie, none of it's true, let's go the opposite direction. Man, that was a fast turn of events. Let me take you to Colossians 2. We just set the stage with three different Bible texts, three discoveries off of those texts. Now I want to show you what Paul said in Colossians 2, verses 1 through 8, quickly. Here we go. I'm sorry, yes, Colossians 2, 1 through 8. I want you to know how hard I am contending. Everybody say contending. Come on, say contending. Now, don't forget that word, contending for you and for those in Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and, and united and loved. Watch this. So that they may have the full riches of complete what? Understanding. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. By the way, a mystery in the Bible is not a secret, but it's a truth that you must go and uncover. A mystery is not a secret. This is not like a hidden treasure chest somewhere, but there is a truth in Scripture that you have to go dig up. It's not laying on the top shelf. You have to uncover that mystery. It says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by what? By fine-sounding arguments. Watch these words here. Say to you again, I tell you this so that no one may what? Deceive you by fine sounding arguments. Has anybody heard anything in the recent months or years of your life or decades that sounded like it could be true? But at the end of the day, it was nowhere near the truth. But on the front end, it sounded like it could be true. It was a fine-sounding argument. Keep reading verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. Verse 6, watch this. So then, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. What's the next word in verse 7? Rooted. Everybody say rooted. 
rooted, watch this, rooted and built up and strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness, verse A, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies. Anybody heard of any hollow philosophies on the earth today? Anybody ever heard of deceptive philosophy that man was conjuring up to take you away from what God's word clearly says? It says, which depends upon the human tradition and the elemental spiritual force of this world rather than upon Christ. Now, there's a lot going on here, but I want to focus on the word rooted in this conversation before we get to today's topic of conversation. Paul said, I want you to be rooted. Everybody say rooted. Rooted is not a quick conversation. Anything with deep roots has been growing for a long time. But hear me today. If you want the roots to grow, you've got to leave the plant in the ground. You can't grow roots if you keep moving the plant. And the greater the wind around the plant or the tree, the deeper the roots must be. Now watch this close. If we're not rooted to something, we will attach to anything. If we're not rooted to something, we will attach to anything. And the problem with that is you may attach to something that could be gone in two days. This is how a lot of people run their life. They're not rooted to their spouse. So something else floats by in the river of desire in life. And they pull up from here and attach there. And that crashes and now this is gone and they're left hanging in no man's place in space. Same with God. I'm telling you, it is okay to have a question about who God is, his character, his nature, the scriptures. I encourage you. I think everybody ought to look at the Bible and ask a ton of questions. Just be sure you understand that he is still the answer. I'm going to say it again because you guys are asleep. It is okay to ask a ton of questions. Just be sure you understand that he is still the answer. It is okay to wonder. It is okay to doubt. Don't forget, he is the answer to everything in this life because that's who God is. And I think everybody, as we said a moment ago, is on a faith journey, but we got to remember our roots must be attached somewhere. Be comfortable to prune the tree without cutting down the entire tree. You can prune things back so things can grow better. But you don't cut the tree down to prune the tree. You leave the roots in the ground. Ask from faith, not from doubt. Watch this. It's better to live and end this life having nothing but Christ than to live and end this life having everything except Christ. It's better to do it that way. Now, 
Human tradition, we see in Colossians 2, those are man's attempt to replace God. And I promise you, our world today is filled with human traditions that want to elevate above who God is. In fact, let's put it to you this way. Everybody here probably came into some form of faith through hearing other people's faith journey. But this kind of like language. When you, when you grow up as a child, the first language you hear comes from your parents, from the environment around you. And then as you grow up, as you grow up, you start to learn what language means, what words you're going to use or not to use, and the same goes with the topic of faith. Faith is a journey that in many cases passed along to you by your forming foundations, your forming household, or you come into it through a friendship or somebody else. No matter how you got here at some point, you're going to have to pivot to the things you really deeply believe versus what somebody else believes. I'll be the first to tell you, I was raised in a very different way of doing church than I do church today. I was raised in a very different church culture, even had differing theological beliefs. But the reality is, over the last 40 years of my life, the last, I'm 48, I know I look mid-20s, thank you for that, but I'm, over these past few decades, I have begun to discover and learn and grow and hold tighter to the truth of the roots of my life. Yeah, some of the limbs are different, but the roots are the same. Yeah, some of the fruit might look different, but I got the same root system that I had as a child. I believe in one true God. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe in God's word as a final plan for mankind. It is the authority on all things. I believe that stuff. And in that context, I have learned the power of discovering my deep beliefs on the journey of life. You can discover and not destroy everything you've been taught your whole life. We learn language early on. I don't forget this. Uh, I, I learned my first curse word. Had no clue what it meant. But, a, but a, rel, a, a neighbor told me a curse word. I didn't know it was a curse word, so I yelled it out loud. thought, that's great. I like, that's a cool word. Let's just say that out loud. Had no idea what I just said. Next thing I know, I'm having a conversation with my dad. Next thing I know, I am getting my mouth washed out with soap. Anybody here go through the soap purification process? That's exactly right. And I never said that word again. That soap was nasty. But honestly, I had no idea what I did. I literally, I mean, I was a kid. I just heard a word and the guy said it like, yelled it out loud. The whole neighborhood went quiet. Faith is a journey. That while it's handed to you in many respects, you've got to continue to find out what you deeply and truly believe. A friend of mine, a professor and a theologian, A.J. Swoboda, he says that the theological journey consists of three phases. Watch this close. It consists of a, watch this, a construction phase. He calls it a deconstruction phase and then a reconstruction phase. And our world today loves the deconstruction part, but they have forgotten the reconstruction part. And the problem is we're tearing down the house while we try to live inside of it. And that leads to nothing but danger for your life. Let me tell you today then how we move to fix our unbelief. I've set the stage for you. 
I've made a case that the scripture shows us belief and unbelief existing together. But I want to show you today three things that I think will help you fix unbelief in your life. But before I get to that, let me just ask you a question. Why is it that we believe our doubts and doubt our beliefs? What if we doubted our doubts and believed our beliefs? Why, why is it that we, watch this, I'm going to say it again, that we believe our doubts and doubt our beliefs? What if we doubted our doubts and believed our beliefs? See, even this paradox is a great example of the sin nature. The sin nature opposes itself. It works against itself. And the very idea that I can doubt my belief and believe my doubt is part of the sin nature opposing even myself in the faith journey. I want to challenge you today, if you have doubts, that's fine. Just don't forget you have beliefs too. Let's talk today about this. Let's look at this and let's unpack today a couple thoughts about how to fix our belief. First of all, let's go to John chapter 1, verse, 1 John 1, watch this, verses, verse 5, 1 John 1, 5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him that we declare that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. The first thing we do to fix our unbelief is we rely upon the character of God, the character of God. When you know someone's character, you know there's certain things they just will not do. You have clear knowledge that they're just not going to do that. You, you just know their nature, their commitments, their integrity, their, their profession of faith. You know how they live. You know certain things about them. And you just simply know that they're just not going to do that. Uh, we had a, a showing here a few months, weeks back regarding the uh, Chicago Marathon and the partnership there with uh, the ministry that makes people run to raise money for missions. And they just kept begging me to run in the marathon. And I'm not sure what they're looking at. <laughs> but what part about looking at me thinks that I'm ever going to run in a marathon? I can drive the car on the street opposite you. But they're looking at me going, man, if you'll do this, it'll bring in 80 more people. And I'm like, they got to find a different way than me to get involved. I'm not your guy. I'll give money. I'll support. I'll promote. But you're just not going to get me in the Chicago Marathon. I know it's a shock to you but I think it makes sense. The character of God doesn't change. When we go through unbelief, we go through doubt. Don't forget the character of God. Look at this in the scripture. Watch this. I love this. This is First Chronicles chapter 16. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is what? He is good. His love endures forever. This is his character, his nature. You can always know this. God is a good God. Don't ever let your doubts make you wonder about the goodness of God. The one thing I can tell you about God is that God is indeed a good God. He is good. There's nothing bad about him. 
It says, cry out and save us, God our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name. He is a holy God and glory in your praises. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, amen, and praise the Lord. God is a good God today. When you have doubts, you have questions, you have fears, don't forget the character of God shows us that God indeed is a good God. I think about God this way. God is my help. God is my refuge. God is my hope. God is my shield. God is my salvation. God is my strength. He's my strong tower. He is my healer. He's my banner. He's my peace. He's my provider. He's my healer. He's my restorer. He's my love. He's my light. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my manna. He's my fire. He is good. He is. He is. He is. He is good. He is loving. He is faithful. I can have all the question I want. I can have all the doubt I want, but that doesn't change the nature and the character character of God, that God is a loving God. He's a redemptive God. He's a caring God. He is the God of all things. He's the great creator. He is the almighty. He is, he is, he is, he is. He will never change because his character doesn't change. You see, you get all excited about that. It excites me to know I have an unchanging God with a character that doesn't go away. Second thought about this. Here's how you fix your doubts. Proper study of Scripture. I, I, I don't know how to say this. I don't want to ever sound condescending because I'm a student. I'm not an expert nor a theologian. I'm a student of the Bible. But you've got to read the Bible from the lens of the first hearers and not from your hearing today. People do this all the time. They'll take a verse and they'll, and they'll just totally blow it out of context. And, and they'll take off and, and they'll push back on what the church teaches. We're, we're going into a tithe challenge coming up in the month of June. We do this every June. It's not new for us. There's no pressure behind it. This is a chance to help you stretch some faith muscle. But I've heard this my whole life, and I've heard this for 20 years as a pastor. People take Paul's verse where he said, give as you purpose in your heart. And they give that verse to say, I don't have to give a tithe. Well, there's a fundamental problem with that analogy. Paul wasn't talking tithing, he was talking giving. He wasn't discussing tithe, he was discussing giving, offerings. He was also addressing the attitude of heart, not the amount. He was talking about the attitude of the heart. So to take a verse like that and say, well, this negates the tithe would simply be a wrong reading of Scripture. Now, what we don't understand is this, and I say this collectively, we're looking into someone else's world. When you read the Bible, you're peering in behind the curtain of a hundred... 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. You're, you're, you're peering behind the veil to a world that we've never seen. And so you have to get on their side and come back this way, not on this side and go back that way. 
Let me give you another way to look at scripture. What's the very first commandment? I am Lord your God and you shall what? Have no other gods before me. Just in summary, right? watch it. Okay. Everything in the Bible is driving you back to that first command. God can never be second place in any area of your life. Any area. Now, I'm saying all that to tell you, I, don't have, I have no pushback on reading the verse of the day. I thank God for Bible apps that pop up verse of the day. That's awesome. Thank you for that. But you're going to have to study deeper to know how to make a theological decision and position. I'll make another example of this. The Bible uses multiple words for the word love. Okay? There's verses that refer to David having a love for another man. And people who twist the scripture, pervert the scripture, turn that into a license for perversion. And that is not the same conversation because it's a love that differs by its language and use of the word love. So my point is you can't, and I can make that example. For example, I, I, I love a good hot dog. Who loves a good hot dog? Who, are we not in Chicago land? You guys just looking at me. I thought that was part of the criteria to live here. Okay, I love a good hot dog. I love my wife. Those are two separate kinds of love. Okay. I could live without one forever if I had to, but there's one I can't live without because, man, she is the best part of every day. So there's a difference, the word love, okay? So my, my point is we got to rightly divide the scripture. Look at this real fast. Look at this in, uh, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, work hard. Everybody say work hard. Work hard so that you could present yourself to God, receiving his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly explains the word of truth. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 4. This is what you got to get to. We often miss this verse. For the word of God is alive and active. I'm in verse 12, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. It penetrates to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. There is a tremendous potential for going to the scripture to find what you're looking for more so than what God has said. You can probably find what you're looking for. If you twist the words just enough, you can probably find the outcome you seek. But that's why the Bible says even this word discerns the attitudes of our hearts. Not just your heart, but my heart. Lastly, everybody say the character of God. Come on, say the character of God. Come on, say the character of God. Everybody say proper study of Scripture. And lastly, I love this because, well, I put it in there. I must love it. Contend for your faith. Stop being knocked over so easily. Contend for your faith. Look at this in Jude. This is Jude chapter 1. Look at this scripture real fast. Verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning the coming sal common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend 
earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all the saints for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, contend for your faith. That means work. That means hold fast. That means be steady. That means don't go down without a fight. Contend for what you believe. Contend for truth. Contend for righteousness. Put some work in. Stop being docile believers that are just tossed about to and fro, left or right. We're fat and sassy. Let's get aggressive. Let's attack darkness. Let's know what we believe. Let's be contenders for our faith. Let's hold fast. Let's hold true. Let's trust the word of God. Let's stand up on the word of God. Let's stand up for righteousness. Let's stand up for truth. Let's be people that contend for our faith. Stop being pushed around. Stand up for Jesus. Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for truth today. Contend. 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 Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Come on, say contend. Come on, say contend. Come on, say contend. (laughs) Think of it this way. Think of it this way. In the scripture, our adversary, our adversary, the Bible calls him a lion. Last time I checked, the lion's a pretty, pretty mean animal. The Bible doesn't call our adversary a hound dog. Our Bible doesn't call our adversary the, the lap puppy that you sit and pet all day. Why do we be, why are we surprised when the enemy comes in? You know how sin came in? It came in through doubts. Came in through doubt. Go read Genesis 3. Came in through doubt. Has God really said? Doubt. See, I can have doubts because I know the character of God. I can have questions and I got plenty of them. You don't want to hear my list of questions because I know his character. And I want to study the scripture truthfully and rightly. Rightly divide the word of truth. And hear me today, church. Let's stop being pushed around by lies and deceit. Let's stand for faith. Let's stand for truth. Let's contend for our faith. Father, come on to your feet today. Father, I thank you today for your word. God, your word challenges us today. And I pray by faith that we will be people that know how to embrace the unbelief belief journey. Let us go forth today with the goodness of you over our life. Let us worship you today in spirit and in truth. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said a big amen. Come on, give God a praise.